Hello and welcome to Powerful Possibilities, a guide to ADHD from diagnosis and beyond. I'm your host Catherine and I'm a certified ADHD coach with my own experience of a diagnosis of ADHD and autism in my 40s. My career is dedicated to helping people like you navigate the misunderstood areas of ADHD. So whether you're recently diagnosed, you think you might be ADHD, or you're looking to better understand your journey so far, grab your coffee, settle in, and let's unlock the potential that's just waiting for you. You're in the right place. What's up my friend, today we are talking about ADHD and menopause. This is the Powerful Possibilities podcast where we talk about ADHD, whether you're newly diagnosed or you've been diagnosed for many years, there's always something new because we are always in a place of possibility. I'm ADHD coach Catherine and I'm here today to talk about ADHD and menopause, which is hot stuff according to the TikTok bros who seem to be really leaning in on telling menopausal women with ADHD what we should be doing. As you can imagine, I have opinions and I know lots of other women who are in menopause, approaching menopause and who also have ADHD. We have thoughts too and I just wanted to bring some facts into the situation and share them with you as simply as I can. You might think I'm not going to go through menopause, this isn't relevant. Believe me, 51% of the population will go through menopause at some point, so it would be helpful if everyone was just a little bit more informed in the same way as it would be great if people could be a little bit more informed about ADHD. And I'm looking at you, Adrian Childs. Why does ADHD and menopause feel like it's having such a moment? Partly, I think it's the fact that Gen X women are now approaching and going through menopause and we talk about stuff. We are the kind of generation that really don't have the same boundaries around these things that may be limited or hurt the sharing of information in the past. And so I think Gen X women, we like to talk. We're upfront generally. And when you add that to ADHD, you get a fairly amazing combination of candor, openness, zest, and I think also humour. And when it comes to menopause, we are likely to have gone through enough in our life to feel like we're just going to talk about stuff. We've been talking about the brain and neurotransmitters in the last few episodes of the podcast and what we haven't touched on yet is how our hormones affect the amount of those neurotransmitters. So of course we tend to think of oestrogen and progesterone as the main female hormones, so the ones that influence our menstrual cycle. And I will keep this podcast PG rated, but I am going to mention periods, oestrogen, progesterone, menstruating, things like that. Just so you're aware, these are going to be the topics of the conversation. Women with ADHD who had a menstrual cycle and enough oestrogen to just about scrape through day-to-day life until perimenopause and menopause suddenly find that things start to feel even more challenging. This doesn't mean that in your 20s and 30s it's been a walk in the park by any stretch of the imagination. PMD is a very serious hormonal problem and it can lead to serious mental health risks. And if you are finding that for at least a week to two weeks of the month 
your mental health is in the toilet, please go and see a doctor. And uh, I'm going to add a, ref a link to a study in the show notes that you can print out and take with you to prove that it's not just that you need antidepressants. But this is uh, something that's much higher in the ADHD and autistic community. And as we head into perimenopause, obviously that hormonal lack of balance is going to get much more exaggerated. We think it may be down to a sensitivity towards these hormonal shifts, which is again why women with ADHD are more likely to experience a PPD, postpartum depression. And you can understand that through the perimenopause, the five to 10 years before menopause, which is the absence of periods for one year, we're going to experience some fairly profound shifts, not just in how we experience our menstrual cycle and our day-to-day -day physical life. What are the main hormones we think about in menopause and how are they connected with ADHD? Let's start with the big guns, oestrogen. Okay, oestrogen is the main hormone that we think about disappearing during menopause. Oestrogen plays a significant role when it comes to regulating dopamine and norepinephrine, as well as serotonin. And between those three, you're looking at your executive functioning, your mood, and also your attention. So when oestrogen starts to decline, our dopamine production also declines. You're going to lose so much of your dopamine production because oestrogen isn't there to tell your brain, hey, we need more of this stuff. Oestrogen also has a protective effect on our brain, on our cognitive functions. And there's evidence now that women who use HRT after menopause are less likely to experience dementia later in life because of that protective effect. So when you're going through perimenopause and entering menopause, the decline in oestrogen is going to impact your dopamine, which impacts your mood, your attention, and that pleasure of that reward that you experience. You may find that your moods become less stable. And I think the menopausal rage or perimenopausal rage that lots of women experience isn't just down to having had enough of the daily things that we tolerate and having our needs not met. I think there's a physical, biological reason there as well. The other hormone that we think about in the menstrual cycle is progesterone. Progesterone, I have a very complicated relationship with it for various reasons, but it has a mood stabilising effect in general. And of course, it's influencing our brain function at the same time. There's some suggestion that adding progesterone in the form of a dual HRT can help to smooth out that perimenopausal and menopausal rage that we just mentioned. And of course, if we're feeling more anxious and more irritable, then ADHD traits are going to feel more intense and exaggerated. And the more intense and exaggerated something like our lack of attention, our lack of focus is, the more anxious we're going to become because we're worried about forgetting something. We're worried we're going to not meet a deadline. Generally, by the time women are entering their 40s and 50s, even their late 30s, especially if you've had a, a surgical or early menopause, we've got so much going on, we can't afford to drop a single plate. And at exactly that moment where we're balancing work, family, friends, possibly parents, at exactly that moment, your ovaries start to back up and then your brain starts to calm down and shut down, which leaves your 
ADHD unsupported, that lovely buffer of oestrogen that's kept things just about ticking over, is gone. A hormone that we don't often think about and which I've seen Dr Louise Newsom mention recently, among many others, but especially her, is testosterone. And testosterone isn't normally part of HRT, but testosterone isn't just for men. It has a significant impact on our energy, our mood and our libido. And many women, not all, will tell you that the last one goes out the window along with all the period paraphernalia when you're into menopause. Why isn't testosterone included in HRT? I think there's an argument that it should be, and it could be down to prescribing guidelines, it could be down to anxiety about what happens if people take too much. But we know that as testosterone declines with age, it's also going to have an impact on things like your energy and your mood And of course, that's going to exacerbate ADHD. It also makes it harder to initiate tasks and keep going. Most of the women that I work with find initiating tasks difficult. Many of them just don't have a choice. And that leads to a feeling of burnout, a feeling of frustration, a feeling of, I don't have any choice, I've got to do it. But that drag it's not a choice that I'm starting this task, it's something I'm I'm being pushed into. That resistance is going to build up over time and can make your emotional dysregulation feel so much worse. So what happens when these hormones disappear and we enter perimenopause or menopause and what's going on in your life? How is it going to show up? One of the first things, one of the main foundations for well-being for anybody at any age, any sex, is sleep. And although there is a trope of the menopausal woman, perimenopausal woman, shall I just say menopausal woman? You know what I mean by now. There is a trope of the woman waking up in the night, drenched in sweat, absolutely unable to sleep and being exhausted and too hot. Guess what? It's true for many people, but it's not just about being too hot or too cold. Things like aching joints, racing mind, anxiety, emotional dysregulation from worry about what's going on during the day, what's to come. I think also the general cultural feeling of becoming irrelevant, not being heard, which let's face it is nonsense given how much we're doing for uh, the world and for each other in general. But sleep, we know, has a significant involvement with ADHD. So if you're not sleeping well, your ADHD is going to feel worse. And throughout menopause, that whole journey, the 10 to 15 years of menopause, your sleep is likely to be affected, which of course is going to make your ADHD feel much worse. Apart from the hormonal impact, you might also find that things that have always been there for you, maybe a delayed sleep onset, which is fairly common in ADHD. It's a genuine thing that you can't get to sleep until two or three in the morning and you will need to wake up later, that can become so much more profound. You might find that you are hyper at night. All through the day, you've been working, you've been caring for others, you've been attending to things that you had no choice around. In the evening, you get some time to yourself and your brain comes out to play. That ADHD curiosity, the wonder, the the need for fun and stimulation, your brain starts to focus on things and by the time bedtime comes, Your body may be exhausted, but your brain could be working very hard. And of course, we know that things like restless leg syndrome are more common in people with ADHD. 
there's the knock-on effect of medication and apparently disordered breathing, problems with breathing at night in in your sleep are also more common in people with ADHD. So if you add that along to along with your kind of menopause symptoms it's making for a fairly traumatic decade for people unless we can put some support and strategies in place and I, I always come back to what can we do and what can I offer you as takeaways that you can implement so let's have a look at what we can do for menopause and sleep The first one, obviously, is to take care of the physical aspect of things. If you are able to go and talk to your GP about HRT or if you're considering that, look down that road as quickly as you can because there's good data to show that the sooner you start it before proper menopause, the the better the outcome is and the benefits seem to last longer. There is the classic sleep hygiene. Sleep hygiene for lots of people feels like we're saying the habits that you have now are dirty. It's a really unfortunate term, isn't it? What sleep hygiene actually means is aim for a consistent time to go to sleep and wake up. Now, consistency in ADHD, we've talked about that before, but with sleep it is pretty important because your body and your brain get into a rhythm. Your rhythm might look a bit different from other people's, but that doesn't mean you can't try. Personally, I've found the secret is to get up at the same time every day whether I like it or not. And that makes going to bed a lot easier. The other thing that is involved with sleep hygiene is making sure that your room is suitable for sleep. Make your bed just for sleep or chatting with your partner. It's not for watching TV. It's not for working on your laptop. And it's not for um, scrolling on the internet and arguing with strangers. We need to set some boundaries in place. A really good one that you might want to consider is not looking at your screen, emails, social media for one hour before you go to bed and one hour after you get up. That is a transformative practice and it's actually manageable. I know people say two hours before sleep. That would be ideal. Let's aim for what's achievable for most people and set yourself a a boundary, a bright line, if you like. And of course, the final part of sleep hygiene is things like not drinking caffeine too late in the day, avoiding heavy meals too close to bedtime, not exercising in the hour or two before you go to sleep. The afternoon is perfect. The morning is perfect. Get some daylight in your brain as quickly as you can after you get up. That's sleep hygiene. It doesn't mean that what you're doing now is dirty or wrong. It's just not helpful for getting a bit more sleep. Another thing that works really well for ADHD and sleep problems is engaging in some kind of mindfulness. And I'm currently working on my own ADHD mindfulness program and it is making a big difference to me. So I hope that you will be able to find a mindfulness practice that works for you. It doesn't mean you lie down for half an hour. It can mean something as simple as a client shared. Walking through a forest or a wood and not looking at your phone, not having music on, not having a podcast on, just being present and deliberately stopping to listen to the birds, to breathe in the smell of the trees, to listen to the leaves. If there's a river, can you hear the river? And just be in that moment. That's mindfulness and that you can do in your garden. It it doesn't matter if your garden's tiny or if you have to pop out to the communal back garden in Edinburgh, we have lots of flats. But just being out there and being in your 
body and listening for that moment. That's mindfulness. It doesn't need to be more complicated than that. And that has good data for helping with sleep and with ADHD. The other thing that helps a lot for both of these is exercise. Exercise, if it was in a bottle, would be a wonder drug. It definitely helps with ADHD. It definitely helps with menopause. Start small, a 20 minute walk. That's enough. And I know that lots of you are very busy, so break that into 10 minutes. 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. And that is enough to get you started and you will start to feel a difference in your menopausal and ADHD symptoms. And another significant part of ADHD and menopause is emotional dysregulation. And I've been thinking about this a lot because everybody's talking about RSD, rejection sensitivity dysphoria, and I know what they mean. I experience it myself. I'm not comfortable with the name, but I know what it is. And so I've got a thing that I'm working on, which I'll share with you probably in January 2024. But emotional dysregulation is a core element of ADHD. And it's what Dr. Barclay talks about when he coined the the term DESR, Deficient Emotional Self-Regulation. And it's an executive function that lies at the root of so many of our problems. Impulsivity, that uh, emotional up and down, the outbursts of anger, and the, the way that sometimes we can confuse people by how quickly we go from okay to not okay back to okay. And it's something that I think people don't talk about very much. Maybe because there's some concern that we'll be misdiagnosed with something like bipolar, which you know can occur with ADHD, but it's not the same thing. And as we go through perimenopause into menopause, the decline in oestrogen, progesterone impact those hormones we mentioned, dopamine, norepinephrine, serotonin. So things like anxiety, mood regulation and stability all start to decline or are challenged where we just don't have the same raw materials in our brain to deal with all the things that happen and by a cruel twist of fate at exactly the same time that's happening, the life stressors you're likely to experience are so much more profound. And we might also find that the anxiety and the neurotransmitter changes mean that we have more memory problems. We are more distracted. We're more likely to forget things. So what can we do? Coming back to our practical strategies, what are the things that we can bring in to our toolkit when we're facing all of this? We're back to our old friends, exercise and mindfulness and sleep. These are the three foundations for well-being for every human on the planet, I think. But particularly so when we feel least able to meet those needs. I think that's one of the reasons why it really helps to have a supportive community, to have someone that is going through that with you that you can talk to, whether that's a friend, relative, a coach, obviously. But having someone who is making sure and checking in that you're able to focus on those three things is going to make a difference to how you feel and how you manage life right now. And if you don't have a lot of money to go for these mindfulness courses, what can you do? There are great apps out there. They might not be perfect for ADHD, but they are an option. You might be able to find some CBT, which has been adapted and designed for use with ADHD. Dr. Susan Young is one of the experts I would send anybody to who's looking for expert ADHD CBT. But you might find that just changing how you breathe and exercising and journaling provides you with the 
emotional benefits that you are looking for before you start reaching for antidepressants, which are an option. I'm not anti-medication for any of these things, but there are things we can do. Sometimes we can't do them and the medication allows us to build that scaffolding, which is exactly what ADHD medication does. And when I talk about exercise, I don't mean you need to start going to do CrossFit, which I would love to do, but um, things like yoga, walking, um, any of these things are really good. Weight training, lifting heavy stuff twice a week, incredible for your bones, for your muscles, for your brain, for your emotions, for your view of yourself. There are things that we can do and there are ways that we can do them if it doesn't feel very easy, but sometimes we need to just tease those ideas out a little bit more. All of those are going to help to manage your emotions and your ADHD symptoms as you head through perimenopause and into menopause. And one of the things that some people really enjoy is journaling. And I think journaling is a kind of form of active mindfulness. There's a fantastic study, I think the guy was called Pennebaker, I'll link it in the show notes, who found that journaling about a particularly challenging experience for 15 minutes once a week over four or five weeks was as effective for some people in his study as seeing a counsellor. Given how difficult it is to see a therapist or a counsellor or a psychologist, it's worth a shot. But I have created a PDF of 14 journaling prompts that I'm going to include a link to in the show notes. So if you want to try journaling and see how you get on with it, there's a, a easy way to get started because sometimes we need a prompt, a way in, something to write about. So it's not just went to Sainsbury's, walked the dog, you know, the kind of stuff that we tend to write down what we've done rather than who we've been. And these prompts will help you to pull some of that information out, hopefully. And of course, the other part of ADHD and menopause is the impact on our memory and on our concentration. Our executive functions are taking a bit of a battering as our oestrogen, dopamine, norepinephrine and serotonin all decline at the same time. So when I talk about memory, I'm usually talking about your working memory. And your working memory is where you hold the information that is most relevant to you right now. It's where you're able to manipulate information that you need. So I always have this vision of Lego bricks. And when I think of working memory being useful, it's somebody hands you a collection of Lego bricks and you take it apart and you're able to put it together in a way that is useful and create something for you rather than just being able to regurgitate it. That's useful memory and that's your working memory because you're holding it there. It means you can remember the instructions, you can remember conversations and you can remember recent events. But when we are stressed, our working memory is challenged and is less efficient. And when you add stress to menopause, to ADHD, it makes sense why suddenly we can't remember the things we could a few years ago. You're not losing your mind. It's a real thing. And it's because of the interaction of your circumstances with your hormones, with your unique neurotype. And with ADHD, we often struggle to focus and concentrate. That's another executive function. So with inattentive ADHD, we may struggle to stay present and focused on the task at hand. We're actually thinking about something else, but we may not be aware of it. But inattentive ADHD is that kind of dreamy, unfocused, 
not able to stay on task. And that's especially true if there's no immediate reward to what we're doing. It's not very interesting and it's not in our passionate zone, if you like. We may struggle much more with distractibility. If your average brain takes 20 minutes to refocus after a task is interrupted, I can only guess that's going to be much longer when you have ADHD and you struggle to get in the zone or into flow in the first place. And of course, the flip side of that is what we commonly call hyperfocus, which is when we suddenly get in the zone, we're working on something we care about, we're interested, we're down the rabbit hole, and suddenly four or five hours have gone past, you haven't moved, you've not had a drink, you've definitely gone for a pee, and you are starving. And that's hyperfocus. And that contrast is one of those ADHD paradoxes that really confuses people until you explain to them it's a neurological function, it's a neurological difference. Your brain is either on or off and we find it much harder to sustain that regular, slightly vanilla type of attention. And again, when we add in menopause, what do we get? We get memory lapses, we get we get a kind of brain fog and the brain fog is partly because oestrogen has left the building. It's very common for many women going through menopause to report that mentally they feel more scattered. They find it more difficult to focus. So there is some question among doctors and diagnostic people. How do we tell the difference between ADHD and menopause? It's a difficult one. I would say from my personal experience, it's a worsening of lifelong traits and lifelong experiences. And I remember when I was in school, my art teacher, which was my favourite subject, said that I had a mind like a butterfly and it would go from one thing to the next. And when it didn't, I would sit and paint for six hours solid and skip all my other classes. Sorry. So for me, that's evidence that it was always there. But when I was going through perimenopause, it became absolutely unmanageable. So what can we do when we start to have these cognitive problems? Yeah, you can do puzzles and memory games and things like that. I'm going to, again, repeat exercise, sleep and mindfulness because physically you need those at the foundation of everything. But you might also want to lean into structuring your routine a bit more. Maybe in the past you've been able to wing it, but now you need some structure. And there are ways to do that. Involve other people in your household bring in some technology, get rid of things. We tend to think, I need a routine, what can I add? I'm going to ask you, what can you let go of? What can you drop? We often look for solutions by adding more things. Very often, the solution actually lies in letting go and reducing what you're doing, reducing what you're juggling. But of course, if you're really struggling, you need professional support. That may or may not be a coach. It could be that you're actually looking for a psychologist, someone to make sure that everything's okay and then give you some CBT or some ADHD-informed support as you go through perimenopause. So let's wrap up. A couple of other things might be affected by ADHD and menopause are relationships. And one of the best people I would send you off to read is Melissa Orlov. I'll put a link to her book in the show notes. And Melissa writes about the impact of ADHD on marriage. But when you throw in menopause as well, things can get really complicated. So you may not be able to have an impact on your partner or your communication, but you can focus on things like self-compassion 
and understanding yourself more. So lean into that, focus on self-compassion, learn about how you can improve your communication within your marriage or your partnership, your relationship. Don't underestimate the impact of daily self-compassion and I'll record a self-compassion audio track that I will share. I'll let you know how you can download that as well. I know this isn't the most exciting of topics for some people, but I do feel that we really need to respect the changes we're going through as we pass from perimenopause into menopause. And it's unreasonable to expect yourself to do that without any impact, whether that's on your physical well-being, your mental well-being, or your needs. Your needs are changing. If you think about communities in the past, women who had gone through that change were in a position of respect. They had the knowledge, the experience, the wisdom. And although that may be lost in many cultures and many societies, I like to think that this generation of women who are able to embrace both menopause and ADHD and still remaining themselves without feeling we need to get a shampoo and set every Saturday. I'm hoping that we can be the ones that make that comeback. We can be the ones who bring that respect for ourselves back. It doesn't matter if other people don't respect us. We need to respect ourselves first. We need to have compassion for ourselves. And when we do that, I'm going to guess other people will start to fall into line eventually. So if you have ADHD and you're going through perimenopause and menopause, I would love to know if you've found this information helpful. I'm going to provide a summary for it online. I'm going to give you the journal prompts and the self-compassion audio that you can use for free. There's going to be lots more information coming on the website, but I would love to know how you're feeling as you go through this transition in your life. And it's a really important one. So look after yourself. And if you're the partner of somebody who's going through this journey, this stage in their life, I hope that this has given you an insight into just how big the changes that they're experiencing are. And I hope that you've got some questions for yourself about how you can support them and help them to navigate into what I call their peak lifetime. Next week, I'm going to be looking at ADHD in the workplace and we're going to start by thinking about time. Okay, so I look forward to hearing from you all next week. If you enjoyed this, please leave a review. Let me know if you've got any questions. Thank you again for all the support. It really is fantastic. And I will be back with you in a week. Thank you for joining us today on Powerful Possibilities, Navigating ADHD from New Diagnosis and Beyond. If you found value in this episode, please subscribe and share it with someone else you know who might benefit or who you want to understand you better. Remember, your journey with ADHD is an ongoing journey of growth, but you're not alone anymore. Until next time, this is Catherine, reminding you that with the right guidance, the possibilities really are powerful and endless. Take care.